Good morning, everyone. It really is great to, to be a gathering of God's people. Um, today's scripture reading will come from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 11 to 14. And we can read this uh, together. Uh, ready? And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen. So last week, Pastor Levi uh, preached about Jesus being the ultimate prophet, and how he came to, um, and how he came to not only just fill his off, fill the office of prophet, but also fulfilling the prophecies about himself. And today we'll continue in the Advent series, uh, looking at how Jesus fulfills the office of priesthood, specifically the office of being the high priest. And today's message draws a lot from Hebrews, uh, which is quite fitting because Hebrews is easily, uh, very easily, um, the most comprehensive book of the Bible that addresses Jesus as being the high priest. And so the author here, the author is writing a letter to the Hebrews, uh, literally to the Hebrews. Um, it's Jews and possibly Gentiles, but both of whom would be very familiar and comfortable with uh, the Jewish context and backgrounds. We, however, are probably not, unless we grew up um, in a very, you know, pr devout and practicing a Jewish home. We probably aren't familiar, or if we were, unless we were exposed for a long time and in depth to the Jewish culture, we we don't have the context. Um, that grounds the audience in the book of Hebrews. Um, we're, we're a bit more removed. So already there is this gap that limits us um, in terms of how much we can relate to what the author is saying here. Um, and things like sacrifice and priesthood, these aren't things that we grew up with in our culture. Um, so we have to, first of all, acknowledge that we have a limit, but then also um, ask ourselves, well, can we get past this limit? And because Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant of the Israelites, knowing the Old Testament is extremely important for us. Um, it's important because it helps us understand better why Jesus came on earth. Um, and it helps us understand what he actually did on earth. And see, the advent of our Lord isn't, it's not random. Um, Jesus came into a specific context. And we learn about this context through the Old Testament. And I'm sure that many of you already um, know to think this way. To know the value of the Old Testament and to appreciate it. Um, but I say all of this because sometimes we do shy away from the Old Testament um, because it is, it is a difficult book. It's history. And 
yes, it can be boring with all the genealogies and the, and the, 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 the lists of just things um, that seem useless. Um, it even seems so different from the New Testament that we might consider it even irrelevant to us today, where we are. Let me tell you um, and encourage you that knowing the Old Testament will draw you closer to God. For instance, in Luke 24, after Jesus was resurrected, uh, he, met, he met two of his followers. They didn't know who he was as he was walking along the road to Emmaus, right? And, and these two guys, they didn't know who Jesus was, and so he was, Jesus took this opportunity to teach them, uh, to teach them all the things in the scriptures, and for them at that time, this would have been the Old Testament that we know it. All the things concerning himself. And then these two men, hearing Jesus' teachings, they couldn't help but feel the passion stir in their hearts, the passion that comes from knowing God. In fact, they realized, after they'd realized that they they were actually talking and, and seeing Jesus in the flesh, resurrected. When they realized this, they said to each other and said, Hey, hey, look, did we not feel, did we not feel our hearts burn within us while, while he talked to us on the road, right? Opening us to the scriptures. And so I want to ask you, have you ever felt that kind of passion? And if you have, don't you want that again and again? And so studying Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, will make Jesus appear to us more beautiful and more radiant. And it will help us to also have a proper fear of God and a heart of adoration. Now, to be honest, I debated a lot of whether I should uh, say all of this at such a, such a great length um, because it took up a lot of time. Uh, but I wanted to, and I felt that I had to because um, I really do want all of us, God's people, um, to want to know God more. Um, so that even after we go home today, we would want to look up and study about the priesthood and sacrificial system of the Old Testament with, with the expectation uh, that this will draw us closer to God and will help us to love Him. Having said this, uh, let me pray first and, and then I'll dive right in. God of our salvation, uh, we, we humbly ask that you, uh, you speak through your word and that you work in our hearts today. Um, open us to see and, and just fall in love with Jesus who is our high priest. And when we come away um, in awe and in love, uh, thank you, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Now, I think 
I can say fairly certainly that all of us here know the gospel, what that is. And when the gospel is presented in the frame of, of Jesus dying for our sins so that God could forgive us, when the gospel is framed in that way, we're actually referring to Jesus mainly in the role of high priest. Why is that? It's because the priesthood and the sacrificial system were created as a result of sin. You were created to deal with sin. See, when sin entered the world through Adam, uh, all of creation and mankind became corrupt. It could no longer stand in perfect relation with God. We know that the wages of sin is, is death. And this punishment is actually first recorded in Genesis. From the beginning, God told man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this death, this death is physical, uh, but it's also the eternal separation from God. And it makes sense because God himself is the source of eternal life. He is the one who gives life. And so the, to be apart from God means to no longer have life. So without a relationship with God, the question to ask isn't, how should we live? But rather, it's, how do we not die? Because dying, which is our state, um, dying isn't the way that God intended for us to be here. It's not part of God's design. Now, sin left untouched, it will permeate every inch and corner of this world. And we see this in Genesis 8 with Noah, right? In Noah's time, the world was unrecognizable, no longer bearing God's image, no longer reflecting uh, the creator and who he was, who he is. And so for a God who is holy, we have to understand that a holy justice calls for death. And that's what the flood was. And for a holy God, a holy love calls for grace. And that is what the priesthood is. See, in order for a God who is holy to be with mankind, both sin and its effects needed to be managed, contained. And so the priesthood and the sacrificial system essentially helped to manage sin. And the priests of this institution, they can be seen as, as mediators, standing between God and man. And, and they were mediating the heavenly realm of God, which had no sin, um, and the earthly realm of mankind, which did have sin. And, and they stood in between um, so that God could, um, in Old Testamental words, like tabernacle, live with and dwell with mankind so that God who is holy can have a relationship with people who are not holy. Therefore, it makes sense that a major job description of the priests as mediators was to make sure that the people were holy. It's, in essence, sin management. That was their business. So what exactly did holiness entail? Well, to be holy meant to live according to God's rule and not 
according to the way man lives. Not as man sees fit, man sees right for himself. The Old Testament records 613 commandments. Um, but that's not just all that was to it. They're, the rabbis, they had their um, they had the laws to protect the laws, right? Laws surrounding the laws. There were more. Now, among these commandments recorded in the Old Testament, there were, for example, the cleanliness laws, which I highly encourage you to go home and, and read about in Leviticus 11 to 15. Now, there you'll find intricate detail. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing, the, the detail that God gives to his people regarding how to be clean um, in terms of the circumstances, uh, the methods, the timing even of being clean, they were to be very meticulous. And, and we, we could easily be thinking, God, isn't this too much? But we have to understand, people, that God was conveying how pure and holy he is. How pure and holy he is. Be holy because I am holy, God says. Moreover, these, these cleanliness laws weren't just illustrating the principle of cross-contamination, whereby something that is unclean can make something that is clean dirty, where uncleanliness gets transferred. Um, these laws were also showing how hard it was for somebody to become clean, not only that, how hard it was for somebody to stay clean. And so the priests, they had to make sure that, that the people of God, whom, who he had set apart as his own, the priests had to make sure that they were clean both generally and also specifically in certain circumstances. But these cleanliness laws, that God gave, they didn't cover all the situations that could come arise in life, right? For example, for, for example what, what if there was an animal that wasn't mentioned in Leviticus um, and the Israelites encountered this? Maybe they touched it, or they were wondering if they could eat it, but it wasn't in the list. What, what would they do with it? They went to the priest. Um, so it was actually the priest's role to understand the working principle behind the laws and then apply them uh, in their inter interpretation of the laws. That was their right um, by having the knowledge of God's word and law. So in essence, they were teachers. So it's, now you can start to see that when Jesus in Matthew 5 after the Beatitudes, he says that adultery isn't just the outward act, but really begins with the inward lust. We can see how Jesus is being the priest who mediates by interpreting and teaching the people how to live before God. We can see that as a priestly role that Jesus is fulfilling. And of the many priestly duties, the most important one was as you can imagine, offering sacrifices. Why? Because in order for God to be with his people, ultimately, sin needed to be dealt with. The people needed to be cleansed from sin. And cleanliness here ultimately means 
not just from, from dirt or germs, but from sin. It was a spiritual cleanliness that God demanded of his people because he is holy. And to be cleansed from sin meant to be forgiven of sin. And to be forgiven of sin required the spilling of blood. In other words, the sacrifice of life. Now, talking about sacrificing by killing an animal, this is where we start to kind of feel distanced, removed from the Old Testament, right? We, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you here, you know, grew up killing an animal to appease a god? You know, it's just not in us. And so when we read about something like sacrifice and why this was so important, this is this was akin to life itself. This was the prerequisite that allowed people to commune with their living God. This is where we feel detached. But we have to understand that the Bible says all sin is against God. And if the punishment of sin is death, then the cost of redeeming a sinner's life would require life to pay. That is the cost. And it is very clear in Scripture that God does not condone, never. He never condones human sacrifices, which is why um, he asks for animal sacrifices. But it wasn't just the killing that was required. It was specifically the spilling of blood. And blood was extremely important for forgiveness to the point where God prohibited people from ever eating blood. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes the atonement by the life. So eating blood would have been sacrilege. Because the life that God created was seen to be in blood. So you don't do, you don't you don't touch blood. You don't do with blood as you please. Because, because who are you? You're a sinner. You have no right to be touching blood. Which, is, which, is, which contains the very life that God gave. And we are sinners. We hold death in us. We have sinned. And that goes against the very nature of God himself. Our, our existence, where we are headed towards itself, is reflecting the rebellion by not living forever. And so this is why Hebrews 9.22 reads that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the whole priesthood existed because of sin. And there was a definitive understanding that the sacrificial system was necessary necessary for the Israelites to be in a meaningful relationship with God. Now, the priests, as I mentioned before, they were mediators between God and his people, and they were helping manage sin and its effects. They were, in essence, we could say that they were, they were bringing God's order into earth, into the earthly realm. And all of this 
It's not because God was extremely strict. It's because God loved mankind. He wanted to be with his people. And this was the way uh, for that to happen. Right? The priests helped keep the people clean and holy, especially by mediating God's forgiveness, because that was the removal of sin. And regarding the forgiveness of sin, it was actually the high priest who had the most important role. And because his job was to offer the sacrifice that was meant to take away the sin of the people, the sin of all the Israelites. And this was done on the Day of Atonement, which I'll get back to later. And first, the high priest. Now, we'll now mainly be staying in the book of Hebrews. And according to Hebrews chapter 5, there were qualifications for becoming the high priest. Now, if you'll all turn with me um, to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, uh, let's read this together. Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 4. Ready? For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorance and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. And so we know that the high priest had to be chosen from among men in order to be mankind's representative and mediator. Right? Now, what I'm about to say is, is really ridiculously obvious, but it's very clear from, from the conditions already that um, the high priest had to be a human. It's, it's obvious but it's extremely important. The moreover, the high priest had to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And interestingly enough, being human, he would have been a sinner himself, right? And so it was the high priest's duty also to atone for his own sins first. And in doing so, the goal will actually have been that as he's, as he's atoned, as he's making these sacrifices for himself, before he even approaches the sins of the, of, of the people, as he's atoning for his own sins, he would realize uh, how, what a sinner he was, his own imperfections. Uh, he would be humbled. And in that state, with this, with this heart, he would then turn to, to minister to the people in that heart of humility and grace. And that was God's design for the high priest. And that's what it means here in, in verse 3. And lastly, nobody could sign up to become the high priest. It's very clear that in verse 4 that it says, only when called by God. So you, we could all want to become high priests, but that doesn't mean anything unless God calls specifically somebody. Right? So, According to Hebrews, these were the qualifications of being a high priest. And to make a long story very short, the high priesthood was imperfect. Just from these standards alone. And we can take the divine calling in verse 4, for instance. 
Now, I've heard that you've been going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Kerry. And do you remember this figure, Caiaphas, the high priest? Well, in chapter 11, verses 49 and 52, maybe, maybe you've observed, but it will say, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, it's an interesting thing to say that year, but he was the high priest that year because by this time, Herod had begun the practice of appointing the high priest himself every year. And so John is writing that that year the high priest was Caiaphas. And at another time, it was somebody else. But what's important here is that the, the qualification of God calling the high priest and appointing him personally uh, was already not being implemented. Right? Verse 4 doesn't say that the high priest had to be called by Herod or man. No, it said he had to be called by God. But what about Jesus? Well, to show that Jesus was appointed by God, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 110 in chapter 5, saying, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek to prove that God did appoint Jesus the Father appointed the Son. And on top of that, Jesus came as a human, which meant that he was qualified to be a representative of mankind because he is human. He was qualified to be a mediator between God and man because he was human. And because Jesus was human, he suffered. Now, not in the same way where we suffer because of our sins, the effects of sin. No, Jesus suffered in that he was human going through hardships um, that humans had to go through. Um, hunger, um, the temptation for power. And it is theologically precise to say that, that Jesus had not experienced these things before as a human. And so can you imagine, as, as hard as it might be, that there's the humanity of Jesus, but also the, the divinity of Jesus in the person of Christ. And, and he's experiencing life as a human for the first time. All these things, the, the temptations in the wilderness. He's experiencing these for the first time as a human, experiencing the limit and uh, just the, the weakness of humanity for the first time still overcoming, still enduring and not falling to temptation, still remaining perfect. And this is why Jesus is truly set apart. He's, he's truly holy. Because he was always obedient to the Father's will. And so Hebrews actually says that he grew in perfection through his sufferings. In essence, he obtained perfection. Whereas we can't. Nobody has ever done that before. Only Jesus. And so when we talk about Jesus and how he's the better prophet or priest or king, we take into consideration both his humanity and divinity. 
and especially for the priesthood, it is important uh, that we consider his humanity. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that Jesus is the better high priest just because he's God, and so by default, he is the better high priest. Um, no, he's, he's the better high priest because actually also he's human. Because he's the only human to ever have achieved perfection. To have lived every moment obeying the Father, always giving thanks, always rejoicing, always giving glory to God, whether eating or drinking, in everything that he did, he's the only human being who ever fulfilled what a human should do. And that's what makes him a better high priest for us. It's his humanity. And that's why we have a high priest, Hebrews says, who can sympathize with us, who actually knows what we're going through because he himself as a human went through the sufferings that we go through. We have a high priest who knows how to intercede on our behalf, who can pray for us, having experienced what we go through. He can now pray on our behalf to the Father. And we have a high priest who isn't distant or, or irrelevant, removed, high and lofty, and not knowing really what we humans go through. No, Jesus knows. Now, do you remember why I said uh, the high priest had the most important role? It was because of the sacrifices, right? And the sacrifice that I want to specifically talk about is the, the one that was made in the Day of Atonement. This was the big thing. This was the biggest sacrifice. It was once a year. Once a year when only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. There was the tabernacle, right, or replaced by the temple later. It was divided into, there was the outer courts and then the inner courts. And the inner courts was made up of two sections, the, the holy place and then the most holy place, what we commonly refer to as the Holy of Holies. And, and this was a cube in dimension and it was, it was essentially untouched. Only once a year could one person enter, and that was the high priest. Why? To make the sacrifice to atone for the sins of, of God's people. That's how important this was. So, so once a year, everyone was looking forward to this. This is such, even today, it's called Yom Kippur, and then this is, this is the highlight, in essence, um, for the Israelites. Because it's your sins being removed. And so can you imagine how, how important this role is for the high priest? Um, of course, as I mentioned before, the high priest had to atone for his own sins, and so that would be the bull that was sacrificed for his own sins. Um, in fact, it's, it's common that uh, the high priest would take several baths leading up to that, the same day. The night before, that he would be kept awake by the people um, so that they would be drilling him with the steps, with the things he had to do and say to make sure that he wouldn't make a single mistake 
that this sacrifice would be carried out in perfection. They would keep the high priest awake to make sure he knows, reminding him again and again and again. And the people aren't being obsessive. The people are just reflecting how holy God is. His demand for holiness and perfection, right? And so the, the high priest would atone for himself with the bull and then there would be a lot um, that falls on the goat and that goat would be chosen to be the sacrifice for the people. Right? Its blood would be spilled, the, the, the meat, the body would be, would be burned wholly outside the camp in a designated clean area. The high priest would take the, the blood. In fact, ropes and bells would be tied around his waist because if he makes a mistake, they needed to take his body out. It, it, it had happened before where the high priest would be struck down, dead. But nobody wanted to go into the Holy of Holies. And so they came up with a system to, to tie a rope around him to make sure that if he dies, they can at least pull him out without entering the Holy of Holies. And so the priest takes the blood of the goat and then he would sprinkle it on top of the Ark of the Covenant that was housed there because the lid of, the, of that Ark was, was the mercy seat. It symbolized the throne of God's presence among the Israelite people. This is where God sat symbolically and, and on that seat, the high priest would sprinkle the blood to show that God, here is the blood that you demand for our forgiveness. Here it is. Forgive us. We are your people. And, and for millennia and more, the Israelites have done this. But Hebrews 10, verses 2 to 4, tells us shockingly that the priest was the priests were making these the same sacrifices year after year. Um, but the reason why they were doing this year after year is is because it, it wasn't actually cleansing the people of the sins. Right? In verse three it says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Impossible. Right. And this, this really does beg the question, why were they doing this then? Why was God saying that the sins were being forgiven? If this wasn't even actually making the people clean, why, were, why was this system set up to begin with? And Galatians gives us a clue in that the law and the old covenant was just a temporary system put in place, a guardian for the people until, until Christ would come to fulfill and to make the old obsolete. And so it's not that this old covenant system was in place and it was imperfect, so Christ had to come. To fulfill it. No, it's that Christ was going to be the solution. He was going to be the way of salvation to begin with. 
and to show that, to help the people understand that the old covenant was put in place. Christ came before. And that's why Hebrews also says to us that, that all of the things of the old covenant, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, these were just a copy, a shadow of the heavenly things. Right? Because Moses, as, as God spoke to him and revealed to him the commandments and, and, and how to live, Moses was, was, was in a sense seeing these visions and, 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 and copying down what he was seeing and, and, and passing this to the Israelites and saying, this is what God has shown me and this is how we are supposed to live. But it was a copy of the heavenly things. It wasn't the real thing. And so we know that the high priesthood of Christ isn't built on the, the old covenant in, in the sense that it, it comes after. No, it's, it's the original. Um, on top of that, the priesthood of Christ is built on the promise of God's salvation. It's not built on, on, on the law um, and, and the sin of the people. One, one really convicting scene um, that I have of the priesthood is is found in Zechariah 3. And Zechariah is, is, is the prophet, but also he was part of the priesthood. And um, God gives him a vision. And Joshua, the high priest at the time, is clothed in his high priestly garments um, as if he were to, um, as if he were ready for the Day of Atonement, right? The purest of linens all of the cleanliness rituals and the sacrifices for purification ready. And Joshua is standing before God. And, and in that vision that Zechariah has, God says that Joshua is filthy. Joshua has made all the preparations that he needed to. He's done what God has told him to, to be clean. He's the representative. He is the man who's going to enter God's presence. And God outright says um, that Joshua is filthy. And the word for filthy is actually the word um, that's used to describe um, feces. That's how God sees his high priest, who he, whom he has ordained and told him how to be clean. Because in God's eyes, nothing that we do, nothing that man can ever do is going to be clean. Nothing. And so in that vision, what does God say to Zechariah? He tells the angels, remove his clothes and give him clean garments. Garments that are clean in God's eyes. Right? And then comes the promise of, of the branch. The branch which, which symbolizes um, purification, like the hyssop branches that were used to cleanse and that will be Jesus. He is going to be the one who really offers the way to be clean for us. Who truly can mediate how we can be before God and be seen as clean. And so it's not up, it's not up to us. We have the tendency, certainly, to, to turn to ourselves to see what we've done, what we haven't done, right? When something bad happens, one of the first thoughts that we could have is, oh, what did I do to displease God? 
But that reveals another heart underlying, which is that the reason why things have been good sometimes is because of the good things that I'm doing for God. But the high priesthood that, that was carried out for, for thousands of years teaches us that there is nothing that we can do. Absolutely nothing. It is meaningless, utterly pointless, and it is it really is as silly as expecting the blood of animals to take away your sins when we think that we can be righteous, when we think that we can do something for ourselves, even just a little. And so this is why the author of Hebrews asks the people to have confidence um, because Jesus as the high priest is the one who entered the Holy of Holies before us as our forerunner and he is the one who tore the veil right, on the cross and, and now gives us direct access to the throne, to God's presence. He is our high priest. And so when we pray to him, we're not just praying um, because the Bible taught us in the Lord's Prayer or, or because that's what we learned within the church among our brothers and sisters to pray in Jesus' name. We're praying because um, he is the high priest we go through when we want to approach God. So brothers and sisters, let us have confidence, um, hold fast to the faith that we have in Christ so that we can draw near, so that we do. And part of that also calls for loving one another, uh, which is another um, exhortation that the author of Hebrews gives uh, as a response that we are to love one another. And I hope that we can see that um, within each other, uh, we are brothers and sisters um, who Jesus has died for. Um, that we are worthy of love. That the person next to you is worthy of my love because of what Jesus has done proves that. Now let's pray.